Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. We're currently in our sermon series, Next. The best is yet to come. For the past 20 years of Rolling Hills, we have seen God do more than we could ever imagine. Countless lives have been impacted for eternity. Many have professed their faith through baptism. Adults and children have grown in their faith through discipleship. Campuses have been launched in communities all throughout Middle Tennessee. And the vulnerable and the least have been served throughout the world. God has shown up time and time again, and now we faithfully look ahead to what is next for His church, knowing that it's not about us and our future, but about God and His perfect plan. Our prayer is that this will be a season that we look back on and see as one where God grew and stretched His people in ways He never has before. We're believing we will see restored relationships, miracles happen right before our eyes, radical salvations, and prodigals returning home. We believe for all of this and more. In this series, we're walking through the book of Nehemiah and how God's call on His people in that day is one He still has for us in 2023. May He find us faithful as we step forward, trusting that the best truly is yet to come. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today. If you want to grab your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. I've, um, I've loved these videos. We, every week we have uh, just a testimony, a story. Uh, one of the things that, uh, one of the themes that's run through them, and I guess the reason why I haven't been asked to be in one of the videos yet, is everybody's had a golden retriever. Uh, and so I guess that's uh, next step. Rebecca, if you, uh, you want to go ahead and work on that, maybe we can get on a video. Uh, but one of, the, one of the other themes that's really run through all of these videos is just this moment in, in, this, in the journey of the individuals and the families' uh, lives where, where they've been asked, where God's kind of asked them what's next, or where they're asking the question, what's next on this journey that we have, or that you have us on, and what's the, the thing that you have prefer, prepared for us. And uh, it's, it's exciting to realize as you kind of work through and, and hear these stories that these are individuals who've been a part of Rolling Hills for some, some period of time, and they've answered that call to what's next in the past, and I am excited right now where we are uh, is because it, God's not done with us, you know, we're, we are not, we're not done with that what's next question. And over the past several weeks, even in our soft launch kind of time, what we've been walking through is a series called Next where we know that God's called us to something next as this campus, but specifically as individuals. And in your seats there, most of y'all have a little blue envelope with a commitment card. And I think that by this time, if you're brand new, then this is your first time. But by this time, you recognize that Next is more than just a sermon series, right? It is a, it's a discipleship campaign or discipleship initiative as well as a capital campaign. As we look to what's, what's happening over the next 20 years, there's going to be a time where we, in the next couple of weeks, where we say, hey, what, how will you be a part of that story? Uh, there, obviously, there's, there's ways that we serve, but also in the financial commitment. I want you to know that Rebecca and I have made a commitment. There's others, other leaders in the church uh, across all of our campuses uh, that have made that commitment, that stepped in and said, hey, we're committing to being a part of this. And, I, and I'll just, I wasn't planning on talking about all this, but I, I can say this, that across all of the campuses, it's a big ask of what we're saying, God, this, what we're saying, God has put on the hearts of the leadership to kind of carry out over the next little bit. 
but, it, but really, so much of what would be given on all campuses, as well as what would happen here, would benefit us. And, and I say this to, like, we're in a, it, it's a capital campaign. I, I know some folks have an issue, like maybe, maybe kind of get a little nervous when we talk about that. And honestly, that's why we put the soft launch right here so that really we were talking to family. And, and so if you're, if you're new, we're inviting you to be a part of this, but, but know that like you're, you're hearing some inside conversation uh, to, to, hey, we're, we're really charging the family, the, the folks that are, that are committed. We'd love for you to jump in and be a part of it. Uh, but, but really, like, this is, hey, God has done some incredible things to get us here. And there, it's, a, it's a big ask. As you look at what, what's going to happen over, over all of the campuses, it's a big ask. But I promise that this campus won't outgive, won't give enough to cover what we need to do here. And we'll benefit more from what's going to be given from other campuses as well. So what, I, I, I want to say that because God has really blessed us. And we have this building, and it's awesome, but there's lots of things that still need to be done. Like, we did bare minimum to get in this building. And so we're asking you to commit to be a part of that. And, and, and again, I know that when we talk about money, that, that can become a, 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 a sticky subject for some folks. But Scripture talks about money. Jesus talks about money as much. That's the only thing that he talks about more is heaven and hell. Because he knows that money is one of those things that, that wrestles for our hearts. And so I'm not going to apologize for talking about money, but I, I, I want us to recognize that that's where we're at. We're in a capital campaign, a discipleship initiative. We'd love for you to be a part of that and pray for those things. Pray about being a part of that. Again, Rebecca and I and our family have committed and, and, and are jumping into that. And it's, uh, it, our goal is 100% participation. And for some, that may be, hey, this is the first time you've ever given, period. That's great. If it's that first step of saying, God, I'm going to trust you in giving, maybe the, that next for you is to step up and serve someplace, that's great. We know that not everybody's going to be, not everybody's going to, to be able to jump in financially, but maybe there's a way that you can serve and, and kind of commit to the next step for your own life. All right, so let's move on uh, from that. So uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, as we're working through um, this, this passage and, and really so much of what's happening in the book of Nehemiah just kind of coincides even with what we're talking about uh, in, in, this ne- in, the, in, in the campaign side of things, discipleship initiative. And one of the things that's happened over the past little bit as we've worked through, especially chapters 4 and 5, is that over and over we've seen Nehemiah face conflict or challenges and opposition, maybe even just some just normal annoyances that come along with living life and doing the things that God's called him to do. And he's seen those kind of thing, those things, not, not only from the outside, but also from the inside, inside the Jewish community where people have kind of opposed or kind of pushed back on some things. And, and the reality is even as we get to this point right here is to chapter 6, what we're going to be reminded is that, again, that this conflict and the, the annoyances and the opposition and the trouble, those things are not very far off. They're always just kind of right there. We're always, there's just kind of moments in, in, in all of our lives that we're going to face those kind of oppositions to the things that God has called us to do. And maybe you understand that really well because you are in a season where you've seen that kind of opposition. You feel like you're walking in faithfulness to what God's called you to do, that you're moving forward in your relationship with Christ, and you've seen that kind of opposition to those things. That just things just keep coming at you. Maybe, it's, again, it's not just that there's true opposition and pushback, but there's just problems and situations and those annoyances and life that come alongside. And what we see in this chapter, in chapter 6, is not only are those things 
happening, but what, what Nehemiah set out to do in the beginning, what sent him to Jerusalem to rebuild this wall is completed. That Nehemiah completes the work. The, the wall around Jerusalem is completed and it's done in 52 days. And so today what I believe this passage has, what has to teach us and what we can grab onto is that in the face of those challenges, that the work still has to be finished. And so what do we learn from Nehemiah as we work through chapter 6? What do we learn? What can we hold on to to continue to be faithful as Nehemiah was in the face of those challenges so that we too can complete the work that God's given us in whatever place we find ourselves in life? So we're going to work through most of, most of this passage together and kind of stop along the way. And, uh, but but I, I want to pause just real quick. I want to ask the Lord to bless the, the, uh, the rest of our time together as we work through these six things that I think we find in, these, in this passage. So pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for this morning and the opportunity to come into this place, God, just to be in this place. I don't want to get over it. I don't want to get over how awesome it is to be in this place with these people to be able to celebrate your name and to recognize your provision. That God, we could not have done this without you providing for us, without you moving in the hearts of others, plenty that are in this room as well as all over the campuses of, of Rolling Hills. God, that We would not be here without the gifts and the, and the, 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 the gracious uh, giftings of other folks. And so we want to celebrate that, that you provided through so many. And God, we just pray that as we continue through this series, that you would continue to soften our hearts and release our hands so that we would join you in what you're doing to be a part of what's next on this campus and across all the campuses that you've, you've put within Rolling Hills, that your gospel would take root in Middle Tennessee, and God, that your name would be lifted high and lives would continue to be changed. We pray that you would open our eyes to what you're doing in this passage through, through Nehemiah, what we can learn from this to face the opposition and finish the work that you've called us to. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your worship guide, you know, you notice that there's six things. There's six kind of things that I think you can see in this passage that, that we're going to kind of work through. Uh, and and um, I'm, I'm going to do my very best to work through them very quickly. There's a couple of them that I'm, I really want to spend a little bit of time on. Uh, and then some of them we'll have to move through per, pretty quickly. But uh, the, the, as we work through them, I'm just gonna, we're just going to kind of look at the passage of Scripture and kind of identify what's going on there uh, and then kind of see what that, that application is for us. And the first one is this, that, that the work is not done until it's done. I know that sounds really, really ridiculous, but verse 1, it says, listen to what it says. When the word came to Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of the enemy, that, I had, that we had rebuilt the wall and that not a gap was left in it, though at the time I had not set the doors in the gates. So they, they get this, the, the word goes out to these guys that have kind of been around the whole time, right? The, the project has started and, and the, the word gets out to these guys. And, uh, it, but, but it says that the, the wall is finished, but he hasn't set the gates and the doors. And so I just kind of think about this. I, I, I personally, I, maybe some of you are in the same spot. I love to start a project. I love the like build up and the planning and kind of getting together and like dreaming about what might be and all those things. I love starting a project. Very intentional on the words that I'm using here. I love it. I don't like finishing a project. I like to start a new project. 
I, I, I love maybe, I love maybe 50% of the project, but then that last 50%, I'm like, that's somebody else's job. Right. And, and maybe, maybe even I get to that point where it's like uh, maybe the last 10%. Right. But I also, I'll tell you this confession. I despise when there's, when a project is not finished. So I get really frustrated when it's not finished. Right. And so, so there's this dichotomy, this like battle inside of me that happens where I get frustrated and then I want to blame it on somebody else. I can't tell you how many papers I turned in in college that were like, I probably could have done another round of like editing, but I was like, I'm good. And they would be like, did you turn in a rough draft? I'm like, kind of, you know, if that was what it was. Right. I mean, there's so different projects at our house that like we've done lots of projects. And when I say we've done lots of projects, Rebecca, my wife, is definitely the handy one. I move heavy things. I pick up after her, like that kind of stuff. But, but like we've done lots of projects that are like 90% complete. And one day we're going to sell the house and they're all going to bite us back. We're going to be like, what? Who did this? And I'm going to point at her. And that won't be good. But I, there, maybe, again, just I love that start, but I don't love the finish. I don't love to finish it, but it frustrates me when it's not finished. But, but right here in Nehemiah 6, there's something that encourages us is that Nehemiah finishes the job. But at this point, when we get to verse 1, it, it, it's not finished. And, and the rec- he even recognizes it's not finished until it's finished. And finishing the job really matters. It matters. Completing the work is important. In the day-to-day life, it's important. When it comes to the big things that, that we have that are our responsibility, it's important. When, when it comes to what God's called us to in life and just the spaces that we find ourselves and the identity that he's given us, that it's important to finish the job. The wall has to be done. You say, and it says, like the, in the past verse 1, it says that the wall's finished. They've even gotten reports that the wall's finished, but the gates are not finished. And that's probably that, it's that 10%, that 5%, that's probably the most tedious part of the job, right? I mean, if you look at it, it's like, oh, all the glorious things are done. All the big, awesome things are done. But Nehemiah is still not finished with this part, and he's still working at the part that's undone. And I think about this just for ourselves, for my life and my own, my own walk of, of where I'm at, because the reality is that even if, even if the wall's done, until these gates are finished, the city is not secure. There's no peace in the city until the wall's done, until the gates are in place. And I think about this in, in my own life and just how many, how many places in, in life where, where, where God's called us to and, and just the, the, the reality of with Rebecca and with the kids of, of getting the work done, of finishing the job. As a husband of, finish, of finishing the work until death does part us to finish the job. Like you're saying your marriage is work? Like, yeah. And if you don't think it is, then stop watching romantic comedies and realize that it is. I wouldn't say it's a job. It's way more than a job. I don't 40 hours, it's like all the hours. But finishing the work. The, for with, our, with our kids to, to, to understand what God's called us to and pouring in the ki- with our kids to finish 
that work that he's called us to until we've given them the ability to, to make those decisions on their own and they walk out. Of, but even in that point, we're, we're still guiding. It just changes what we do as parents. But, but there's, there's to finish that work. I, I see, I think one of the parts that, that really just, it hurts my own heart and the reason why it's been so heavy, and I think maybe you've heard me say these things before, but I've watched friends, close friends, some that are in the ministry that have pulled up short, that they haven't finished the race, they've stumbled or they've, they've pulled up before the race is over, and I've watched them, I think, what what, what happened that, you, that you've fallen away from what you said you believed? Or maybe they've just given in a little bit to what, what's, what's true and kind of begin to, to think things that are off of what is true and, and right in Scripture. And I think, what happened? Why, why are you giving up so early? I've watched marriages of 15 or 10, 15, 20, even 30 years fall apart. And I think, why, why, I'm like, what, why pull up so short? to finish the work. I see parents that have given so much energy to their kids and nurturing them and raising them in the goodness of, of the gospel to only leave the gates open and the doors undone and the city unsecure when they get older, to not truly finish the job. And honestly, I think about it all the time personally because I've said this in, in, my, in, in this space before that I, I want to, what what is in my heart, and, and this is hope, I don't know if this is God's plan, but I put this before him. I desire to retire from the ministry. And in my head, that's from serving in the church, right? I want to be that old curmudgeon pastor. They're like, you got to go. Maybe not curmudgeon. Let's kill the curmudgeon part. That old, really, really joyful pastor that like, <laughs> you got to go, T. I want to finish here. I want, I want to finish. The, I don't want to pull up early. I, I want to finish the job. The things that God's called me to, I want to be faithful to the end, to the work that he's called me to. Beyond that, not only just finishing the, the work here, but, but being faithful to the very end until he calls me home, to walk with him in faithfulness until he calls me home. And I desire the same for you. That's why when we talk about this next campaign, this next series, not only just being a capital campaign, but a discipleship initiative, because it's discipleship just as much as it is anything else. What's your next step in walking in faithfulness to Christ? And you becoming who God's called you to be and finishing the work that he's given to you and finishing becoming all that he's called you to be. I want us to finish the job, to be, to walk, to, to do the work and I, I rem just think about the reality that it's not done until it's done. And our marriages and life in general and your relationships with our kids and on and work and all those things, it's not done until it's done. What Paul says in, in Acts, which Luke records in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, it says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me the task to testify of the good news of God's grace. To finish the job because the work is not done until it's done. The second thing is this, we don't give up, that we, we don't give up and he, and, and because he's not giving up on us. And that number two is that, that the opposition to God's calling will continue and likely grow worse. This is the good news. 
the opposition to God's work, the opposition to God's calling will continue and likely grow worse. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but, but here again, in verse 2, these guys that, that have been there, he, they send Nehemiah a message and says, come, let us, let us meet together in, in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, and so I sent them a message in, in this, with this reply, I'm carrying out a great project and cannot, come, cannot go down. Why should I stop work? Why should work stop while I leave and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. And again, it says that these guys, they're, they're lurking around. They're, we've seen them from the very beginning, and they've opposed Nehemiah over and over, but faithfully and diligently he stayed, he stayed, he stayed diligent to the work in restoring the wall from the beginning until it closed, until the, until the whole thing is closed. And it seems like it's actually going to be done, but, but then they come again. And this time it's subtle. It's not nearly as overt as it was in the beginning. Now it's real subtle, and so it's even more dangerous. And the first temptation that you see in this passage is really kind of a compromise to the culture. What he's calling him to do is a compromise to the culture. And we've talked about this already a couple weeks ago, is that, the, that our enemy is like a roaring lion, like he prowls around. It says in 1 Peter that he prowls around seeking to devour anyone that he, that he might. And, and so like that's obvious, right? You see a lion walking around and you're like, okay, that's a bad idea. I shouldn't go that way. But listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians, what Paul says. He says, for such, such people are false prophets, deceitful workers, masking arrayed as apostles of Christ. And now, and, and no wonder, for Satan himself masqueraded as an angel of light. It is not surprising then that his servants also masquerade as, masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Again, a roaring lion is obvious, but, but I mean, this should wake us up. Right, because it's not just the, I mean, the, what's coming, the schemes that are coming against Nehemiah and the schemes that come against us are not just temptations that are obvious, the roaring lion. Sometimes they're schemes that are overt, they're, 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 they're masqueraded behind other things. And so he's calling him down. He's like, hey, let's, let me, let's, let's talk, and we'll talk a little bit about exactly what he's doing. But I think about how many times, think about how many times that sweet-sounding voice whispers bitter lies into our ears. It happened in the Garden of Eden when, when, they caught, when, when Satan whispered that lie into Eve's ear that God was holding back on them. And what they really needed was to take the fruit that he said that they shouldn't have. And it's continued. Those, those bitter little lies that are masqueraded behind a sweet voice that you deserve better. You deserve, you deserve someone who understands you, somebody that's gonna, that's gonna take care of you. And how many marriages have the seed of deception has been just in that? You deserve something better than what you're getting. You see, you see it in, in other places that you, you, deserve, you deserve more than what you have. You deserve it because you've worked so hard that God's keeping this from you. Can you really trust what God has? Is he really going to provide for you? You don't need to worry about your kids and what they're taking in, who they're hanging out with. They're fine. You've done all the work you need to do. It's time for you to relax. I get, oh, I'm not going to go down that road. The second kind of the second spot in this in this passage is that there's there's a, a like a, a, an attempt to cave to the pressure and so and after he, he denies them that he come, they comes back and they 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 he basically says hey I'm, this is the word that's around 
that you're setting up this wall because you're going to revolt against the king and they're going to find out. So let's, let's talk about it. And again, he says, that's not happening. That's not, that's not what's going on. And so again, he's trying to, to get him to, call, to cave to this pressure. And Nehemiah's ready for both of these things. And it goes back to something that we talked about last week. And again, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but, but it's that when the fear, of man is, the fear of man is trumped by the fear of God. The fear of man is trumped when the fear of God is settled. The fear of man is trumped when the fear of God is settled. That's the third thing that we see in this passage. That Nehemiah, this, the, the fear of man, what these guys are saying, the compromise and the caving into to what's, what these guys are coming with him, are, that, that goes away because the fear of God has been settled. The fear of man is not just that you're afraid of them. That was part of what he was trying to do, but that you want their approval, that you want for them to like you, that you want for them to accept you. And this is what's going on in that first, in that deceptive moment. Come, let us go to the plains of Ono. Really what he's saying is, hey, listen, you're a really important guy. Sinbalad himself is a, an important guy in the region, has lots of resources at hand, has a lots of really important friends. And so when he comes to Nehemiah and says, hey, come with me to this, this plain of Ono, what he's saying is like, listen, man, you've worked real hard. You're an important dude. You've done a lot. Let the other people take care of this. Why don't we go out here? Come with me to the country club. Let's just relax. But he realizes that he's scheming against him, that that's not what God has called him to in the moment. There may be a time for him to go and to sit at that table and share and to, and to, to talk with, with this guy. But he sees behind what's going on in that moment as he's scheming against him. He says, no, I'm not going to get down from that. The project that I'm doing is too great. I'm not going to come down to, be, to meet with you. The fear of man is trumped by the fear of God because it's been settled. What God's called me to is greater than whatever you have to offer me. Whatever, whatever limelight that you might give me, whatever, whatever acceptance that might come along, whatever popularity, whatever possessions might come along with being aligned with you, God's word and what God has called me to is greater than that. The fear of man is trumped when the fear of God is settled. And against the compromise, again, as they come in and they try to fight in him, in verse 8, it says, it says again, he comes, they try to, to cave him to the, to the pressure. And he says, and I sent them a reply, nothing, nothing like what you were saying is happening. You're just making it up on your own head. You're trying to fight and frighten us, thinking that their hands, thinking that our hands would get too weak to work and that work will not be complete. He says, I know who I am and what I'm called to. And I'm not going to cave to the pressure. I'm not going to cave to the things where you're saying, hey, you're being way too serious about this. Just chill out a little bit. People are going to start talking about that commitment that you have to Jesus and how you're really, really going all in. They're going to start saying, you're going to get reported. It's going to be weird. He's like, no, listen. That's not happening, and even if it is, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I know who I am. I know what God's called me to do, and my, I'm going to remain fixed on his word, fixed on what he's called me to do, and I'm not going to get sidelined by the words of man because the words of God are more important to me. Side note, we can't know, we can't, the words of God can't be more important to us than the words of man if we don't know God's word. 
So we've got to spend a year. I'm broken record. You've got to spend time with God in his word. You've got to spend that time. And again, I've said this, we're going to have daily steps. I'm going to invite you. This is just kind of my own thing. We'll have daily steps that will come out at the throughout the year, next year, but at the beginning of the year, I'm going to read chronologically through Scripture, and I'd love for you to join me in that. I think it's one of the greatest ways that you can read through. If you've never read through the whole of Scripture, it's a great way to kind of see how all the stories combine. But we can't know what God's Word is to compare it to what the world says unless we spend time with God in His Word. So we've got to make that a serious part of what we do. The fourth thing, I think this is the fourth thing I've lost count, is that this, that, that the next thing we need to remember is that the that the need for prayer and God's strength will never end. The need for prayer and for God's strength will never end. Nehemiah 6, verse 9, it says, When <clears throat> excuse me, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking that our hands would get too weak for the work and it would not be complete. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Nehemiah had been through so much since he started this journey. Since chapter one, as we kind of come through this, right, right he's, he was in the, Pers- in the palace of the, of the king of Persia. He was a cupbearer there. He's come all the way down. He's moved into this other place. There's been opposition and all the things that have gone along with building the wall. It gets, it's completed in 52 days, but there's been a lot that's happened and it didn't start day one. So he's been there for a while, right? And he's denied himself some of the things that were his by right because, of, uh, because he was governor of the region. He's been through so much, but one of the things that remains consistent throughout Throughout the story, throughout what we've seen from the beginning to this moment is that he continues to go to the Lord in prayer. He continues to seek the Lord and and trust the Lord to provide for every need. And right now, it's God that would strengthen his hands so that he wouldn't falter and complete the work. It's God that strengthens his hands. And I mean, you think about Nehemiah, he kind of walked through this passage. If you haven't read through it, it's a fantastic, many of you have been here for the whole thing. But if you kind of look at Nehemiah, do kind of an assessment of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not a weak man. Physically, he's not weak. Emotionally, he's not weak. You can't be weak and be the cupbearer to the king. Physically, emotionally, intellectually, he was strong. He was a strong man. If he would have taken some, some aptitude test or some of those the personality tests, it would have come back as we would expect, as that he was, a, he was a leader, that he had discernment, and all those things that you would expect a person of this position to have. But, and so he was a strong man. But I would say one of the greatest strengths of Nehemiah is that he recognized that he was weak. And time and time again, He calls on the Lord to strengthen him, to be his strength, to give him wisdom. He calls on the Lord to be the one that provides what he needs in that moment because he knows as strong as he is, as intelligent as he is, as, as emotionally stable as he might be, that it's God that's going to give him everything that he needs. And in this moment, he does the same thing. He says, God, strengthen my hands. It doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't, it, for all of us, that, that where we are, that God is the one that strengthens our hands. He's the one that provides so that we won't falter or be frightened by the things that we face and those oppositions. It doesn't matter where you are in your walk with Christ. In your marriage, in, in, as, as a single individual, as, as, a, as a parent, as a, as a worker, at, at wherever you work, wherever, whatever roles that God has given you right now and he's put you in those places and he doesn't get the address wrong as a neighbor, as a, as a, as a 
professional in whatever place, as a student in your school, all of those places, God's put you in those places. It's not by accident. And he's the one that will strengthen you to finish the work that he's called you to. So we have to call on him. We have to be those who are willing to say, God, I need you to call out to him, to confess our need to him, to trust him, to be gracious and, and provide all that needs to be provided for that. And I, I just think about this, like how many, how many marriages might have been saved if husbands and wives would have prayed simple prayers of God, strengthen my hands. And maybe you did, and I'm not saying that you didn't. If, you're in, if you've been through that, like, listen, I know I've harped on that a lot, but I, I'm so broken by how often we just get in places where we give up when God says, just call on me to strengthen you, and I will do everything that I said I will do. When our kids walk in a rebellion and we call and call on him to strengthen our hands, to not give up, not to, not to just turn them over, but to say, God, I'm going to remain faithful, but I need you. I'm frightened, but I need you to, so that I can face these fears and hold on to what, God, you've called me to hold on to as a student and those temptations that come. And I know that they come. And I get so tired, I get so tired of hearing folks say that, oh, I never faced those things that they're facing. I, you're right, there are things that you face, students, that I never faced. I didn't have access to a, even a, a portion of what you have access to, the temptations that you face. But I know this, that the God of the Bible and the gospel that transformed my life still has the power to strengthen you, to remain faithful to what he's called you to right where you are. It has not lost power just because you have more access to things. And what he's called us to is to call on him and say, God, strengthen my hands. This week, this is not a part of the plan. I got three minutes left. <laughs> this week, I had a couple days that were quiet. And I, maybe, maybe you know this experience. Like, it was quiet around my office. It was really quiet. And it was awesome. And then I picked up the kids and it was not quiet anymore. And it was not awesome. And I found myself getting so frustrated. And I was like, man, why, why, why can't y'all just be quiet? Like it was in my office. Like that's not what they're supposed to do. And I was on the, like, they don't even know this was happening. I don't think any of them are in here right now. So I, they, I'm driving down bypass and I'm, and I literally, this prayer was what I prayed. God, strengthen my hands. You say that you've given me everything that I need to live a godly life. Strengthen my hands right now to be a dad that is excited about being with my kids rather than frustrated. And you know what he did? Go figure. He gave me strength to be a dad that was excited about being my, with my kids rather than frustrated. And I'm not saying that afternoon was easy. But I had the strength to do what he called me to do, to be a dad that was involved, a husband that, that did what he needed to do. We got to move on. The voices that influence us, the fifth one, right? The voices, the voices we allow to influence us matter more than we think. The, for verses 10 through 13, there's a priest, or excuse me, there's a prophet that calls on Nehemiah and he says, hey, come and check us out. And he, they, they have a conversation. And, and then Nehemiah realizes that this guy's not, he's not being truthful. 
that he was hired by these other guys that have been, have been trying to, to, to mess with him the whole time. And so it, here, here's, again, this wolf in sheep's clothing. And I want you to hear this, that we have to be careful and diligent about who we allow and what we allow to speak into our lives. That just because somebody has a title doesn't mean that they, that they should be trusted. There's lots of people around us that are experts that are not experts in the life that God's called us to live. There's lots of things that we see on television that we, that we let ourselves be, be influenced by on social media. And I'm, I, listen, I had to delete Instagram this morning. I was like, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm tired of the way that it's influencing me and things that I didn't even realize it was influencing me. in. Not a joke. Deleted it this morning. And I'm not super cynical. I promise I'm not like, I'm not like a conspiracy theorist. I have to fight that because that's kind of cynicism. It like makes my heart dark and it makes me not trust people. So I have to, I have to fight against that kind of, that kind of cynicism. But I, I do believe that God, by his grace, opens our eyes to when we are being, when, when we see things that are not the truth. And Nehemiah did, and we have to be aware of those that are speaking into our lives and what we're allowing our kids for the, and, and, kids and, and our family members, what we're allowing to speak into our lives. We've got to know those things. It really matters what we allow to influence our lives. And the last thing is this, that the legacy, the legacy of a faithful, a faithful obedience is an incredible testimony of God's greatness. The legacy of faithful obedience is an incredible testimony of God's greatness. I can imagine that in this room there are plenty of stories of people that you can look back on and say, they finished the race. My grandfather is one of those men that I look back on and I say, he finished the race. He loved Jesus more when he died than he did when I knew him when, he was, when, I, when I was growing up. And he loved Jesus a lot then. He continued to walk in faithfulness. And the legacy of faithful obedience is an incredible testimony of God's greatness. And what it says in this passage is that after it had been done in 52 days, as the, as this, as the wall had been done in 52 days, and Nehemiah had been faithful to finish the work, that those people that were around in the, in the cities and the, the people that were around were terrified. They were frightened because they realized that what happened had only been done because God had helped them, amen. And for us, wouldn't it be an incredible testimony for our kids and our grandkids and those in, in, that we work with that as we finish the race, as we finish the job, as we continue to take the next steps that God's called us to and we hold on and we ask him to strengthen our hands that in those moments we finish and the testimony to our kids and to our grandkids and so far on is that they were faithful, that it would encourage them to walk in faithfulness as well. But we don't do that on our own. We started by recognizing that God's put other people in our lives and, and people around us. We don't live life by ourselves. And that's why we talk about community groups all the time. But we also don't do it on our own because God has given us his spirit to live inside of us, to strengthen us, to do those things. You know, Nehemiah, as you kind of read through this, and the band's going to come uh, and, and, and we're going to transition into worship. But this, it, 
Nehemiah was awesome, and he did complete the work that God had given him, but the work was not done. You see, Nehemiah, when he was finished, he wasn't the answer. Jesus was the answer. And Jesus would come. Like, like Nehemiah, Jesus' heart would break. He would break for all the things that, that the, the people of Israel, he would break, he'd be broken for his people, and he would leave the comfort of heaven. And just as Nehemiah left the comfort of the palace to be with his people, like Nehemiah, Jesus would be tempted and lied to and lied about, and, and, and they would try to deceive him. And like Nehemiah, Jesus would call on the Lord in the moments of desperate weakness to strengthen him and to give him everything that he needed to finish the work. Like Nehemiah, Jesus would finish the work that God gave him to do. But unlike Nehemiah, when Jesus finished the work, it transformed everything. When Jesus finished the work, it was an invitation for us to have life and peace and joy, to have a relationship with him, to be restored. And this morning, as we talk about all of those things, maybe, maybe at, the, at the core of it, you're like, that all sounds great, but where do I start? And where you start is by finding a relationship with Christ. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, then all of those things, you could be holding on really tight, but all of the holding is not going to do anything until you put your faith in Jesus. Because it's holding on to Jesus that changes everything. It's holding on to the power that he gives that changes everything. So this morning, if that's where you are, if you're like, I, I know that that's my next step, then I want to invite you to have a conversation. Uh, I, some of our uh, leaders, our prayer, our, our prayer team, the A6 and C3, they're going to step to the back of the room. I know that I'm just telling you this at this point, so thank you for, for doing this for me. Some of our A6 are going to step to the back of the room. And, and listen, these are great men and women that they would love to have a conversation with you to start what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. So don't feel weird. If you just want to say, I just need to talk to Pastor T later on, go talk to him. And they're there for you to talk to. And they'll, they'll, they'll make sure that I get your name or they bring, me, bring you to me later on and we can have a conversation if you're not comfortable having the conversation with them. But let's continue to worship through song this morning and then just kind of in response to what God's done, uh, let's, let's worship. And if you need a move, then move back to the back and check, uh, talk to one of these men or women and, and just ask, just begin that conversation of what it means to have a relationship with him. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done and all that you're doing and the fact that you've invited us to be a part of it. Through the blood that was spilt, the body that was torn, and ultimately the life that was renewed from the grave. That you've given us life. You've invited us to life. You've invited us to call on you and to cast all of our cares on you because you care for us. And you tell us that we can hold on to you. that you give us everything that we need to live the life that you've called us to and to finish the work. Let it be a testimony. Faithful obedience, a lasting testimony of your greatness, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.